All right, let's get started. I'm so happy that you're here this morning. If you're a visitor, if this is your first time here, I am so happy that you're here. Uh, if you're watching online for the first time, just so happy. Uh, my name is Landon. I'm honored to serve here at First Christian. Uh, I'm really excited. Today we're starting a new series. This series is called Not Simply Stories. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at uh, some of the parables, some of the stories that Jesus told, and we're going to take uh, practicals for our life out of it. See, Jesus was the greatest teacher that ever lived. Uh, he was also the greatest storyteller that ever lived. Uh, and so we're going to look at some of these stories that he told and talk about how they're not simply stories. He wasn't just trying to keep people entertained, uh, but he was telling a story that had a message. Before we get started, I want to talk a little bit about the word parable. So Jesus taught in these things called parables. Often it's said that that word means story. Uh, but it actually doesn't. When you look up the, the Greek word for this, uh, the word parable means to throw alongside. And what Jesus would do is he would tell this story, usually in response to a question. Uh, Pharisees usually would try and throw something at Jesus, trying to trip him up, trying to make him say something he shouldn't say. And Jesus, honestly, he would answer their question, but he would, he would answer it with a story. And the message would just be thrown alongside. And it would be told so well that they would know what he's saying without him even having to say it. That he could convict people without him having to directly say it. He would just tell a story. And so in the next few weeks, we're going to look at some of these stories. Uh, we're going to talk about how, how they can impact our lives today. How we can use them and utilize them today. I think that I am hilarious. I will tell you this. Anybody in my life will attest to this. I personally think I'm one of the funniest people on earth. No one else does, okay? <laughs> Never. And so often I'll think I have this really funny story or this really funny joke, and I'll get like halfway through telling it and then realize no one's going to think it's funny. And so you get like, and I'm sure some of you have these things. I, I get halfway through and I'm thinking, okay, how can I change this story <laughs> to where when I finish, people will actually laugh. And usually the way that I change it, it doesn't actually help anything. It may make it worse. But we often have these, these bad stories that come up in our lives. People tell it to us. Somebody, somebody says it at work. Somebody says it at home. Maybe it's you saying it. Maybe it's really awkward after the story. Bad stories are defined by you not being able to take something valuable from it. You can't take any bit of, any bit of hope, any bit of courage, any bit of comedy. You can't take something from the story. On the contrary, a good story is something that you can take something from. You, it's a story of, of, of valor. It's a story of courage, a story of hope. And you hear these, and you're encouraged, and you leave feeling better or feeling challenged. And these are the stories that Jesus told. Jesus would say something, and people around him were, like, confused. Not because he was being confusing, but because it was so convicting. The stories he said were so convicting, and, so, and, and they had such a message. And Jesus was so good at telling stories and, and, and bringing principles out of these stories. So today we're going to look at the story of the unmerciful servant. Uh, if you're taking notes, it is, today's message is called the unmerciful servant. We're going to be in two passages of scripture, which I believe Brother John's going to throw up. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 18. I will try and talk slower today because apparently I'm losing people. Let me tell you what, 
The problem is I get too fired up, and I start talking and going, and my tongue is just like, just flying out of my mouth. So if I'm talking too fast, you can just like, don't, don't wave at me, because I'll be like, hey, but just like, you know, kind of slow down. Slow it down. Two passages of Scripture. We're going to go ahead and turn right now to Matthew chapter 18, if you're turning there. Matthew 18. Verse 21, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now you'll see you have a little footnote. Usually what that's translated to is not 77, but seven times 70, okay? Not 77, seven times 70, that's 490. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that they had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay you back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back whatever you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat you, each of you, unless you forgive your brother from your heart. We're going to look at this story from a couple different perspectives. Uh, many of you know that if you, you and a partner or your friend or your spouse or whatever, you can see the same thing happen and take two different, completely uh, accounts of what happened. Uh, because you see things differently. You saw him do this. Well, you saw him do this. And so we're going to look from a couple of different perspectives today. Um, but before we get started, this actually starts with a question, and this is not a bad question. Peter here is not trying to trip up Jesus. He's not trying to make Jesus mess up. I want to tell you, Jesus is comfortable with your questions. We just finished this question series. It was amazing. And, and I just hope that you take away from that series that it's okay to be honest with the Lord about where you're at. You know what? He already knows. He sees your thoughts. And so you not voicing your questions and not discussing your questions, it's not doing anything to him. He already knows that you're wondering that. He already knows where you're confused. So be honest, be open, be vulnerable uh, so that we can grow and we can look more like him. In this parable, it's easy to determine who the king is, who, who the king is being compared to. Churchy answer, but it's God. And the servant, the main person in this story, we know it's us. The debt this man owed, uh, scholars believe, was more than the surrounding nation's debt combined. Okay? All the surrounding nation's debt combined still did not equal what Jesus said this one man owed to his king. I'm going to give you an example. It says 10,000 talents. He owed 10,000 talents. A regular paying job in this time, you would make 300 denarii a year. We also see the word denarii. 300 denarii a year. 
You work for 20 years, a solid job, 20 years, you have 6,000 denarii. At that point, you've paid off one talent. One talent. You would have 9,999 left to pay off. This is how much money he owed. He owed so much that he would be paying this off for his lifetime, for his grandchildren's lifetime, for their grandchildren's lifetime. That much money he owed this king. Yet the king decided, I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to wipe it all clean. You're free. You don't owe anything. Until he made the decision to not forgive his own servant who owed him so little compared to what he owed. <coughs> Last week, uh, there was a, a billionaire that went to Morehouse College, did the commencement. You might have seen this on the news. Morehouse College uh, and told all the people that were graduating that he has paid off their student loan debt. Student loans are ridiculous, okay? I, thankfully, because my mom works at Hardin-Simmons University, have zero student loans, thank the Lord. But I know how much money this costs. They said that it's going to cost him $43 million to pay off the debt. So this story is basically saying, okay, let's say I went to Morehouse College and someone came and paid off my $100,000 worth of student debt, my $120,000 worth of student debt. And I'm so thankful. And then I go over and Debbie, I bought Debbie a Coke three weeks ago. Or Debbie, yeah, I bought Debbie a Coke. And I say, Debbie, you need to give me that $1.85 or I will put you in prison. And she doesn't, and I throw her in prison. This is what it's being compared to. This is the image that the people are getting in their minds. Like, well, why? Why would you do that? If I just got saved 120 grand, I would buy every single person in here a drink. You know, I would buy you a steak dinner. Well, maybe not that, but... I'm a pastor, I'm not a, you know, but, <laughs> but this is what it's being compared to. This is the picture that they're getting. Somebody had all of this debt, and it was, it was paid off, it was free. They didn't owe anything, and yet he wouldn't forgive something so minuscule. When he chose not to forgive his servant, his master found out and had him tortured until he could pay off the debt. He was never going to be able to pay off that debt. He would be tortured until the day he died. In our lives today, it is very easy to be offended. Uh, we are the most easily offended people of all time. If you are, are on any social media, you can see this. It doesn't matter what day, what hour, any time you can get on and people are being offended. We are so easily offended. Sometimes this is referred to as a victim mentality. Uh, we call it a victim mentality, often in the church even, where Oh, well, well, everything is happening bad in my life. Everyone's mean to me. Everything is terrible. My life is so, you know, so terrible. I'm going to tell you this. Christians, we should be the least offended people on the face of the earth, okay? This is not even a part of this. We should be the least offended people. We should be so filled with grace and with mercy that we can't be offended, that, that offenses become abnormal, not natural. That's the way that we should live and operate in our mind. Uh, so that's just, just a, little, a little side note. But <laughs> However, this is not what happens. This is really not. We can see this, again, on social media. Get on Facebook after, after church today, and you will see people being offended left and right. So before we dig really, really deep. We're going to look in this story. We're going to dig deep, but I want to talk about three just basic principles we can take from this story before we get in. 
Point number one, we are to forgive endlessly, endlessly. See, Peter walks up to Jesus and asks this question. And it almost seems like Peter's being facetious or Peter's being silly. But here's the deal. In this time, what they were taught is that you forgave somebody six times for something. You forgave them six times. And after that, no, you're done. You don't have to be associated with them. You don't have to be near them. You can curse them. You can throw them in prison. Six times. That's what they were taught. And so Peter's mind, he's thinking, well, Jesus is more kind than probably the authorities. So he's probably thinking seven times. You know, Peter's like, you forgive somebody seven times, right, Jesus? You know, maybe eight, maybe nine. And Jesus, I can just, you know, Jesus is fully man and fully God. So he's fully man. So he's just looking at Peter like it's just a regular question. I'm sure his fully God part, he's like, Peter, do you know me? Do you know how kind I am? Do you know how great I am? And so he says, not seven times, but 77 times, or seven times 70, 400 and 90 times. Do you really think, knowing all that we do about Christ, what we have in the Scripture, do we really think Jesus was saying 490 times you need to forgive somebody, and the 491st time, punch them square in the face. Just slug them. Just, you're allowed to do that. On the 491st time, go and take everything out of their house. It's yours. It's all yours. Do we really think this is what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, yeah, you need to go home, make a spreadsheet of everyone in your life's names, keep track of how many times they mess up, and the 491st time, put them in jail. Put them straight in jail. No! You know, they have these, these uh, like, Fitbits and Apple Watches. I don't, I don't wear that, and here's, here's honest to goodness why. I say this as I have a computer here. I don't know what all goes to the government off that thing, and, you know, they, these things track, like, how many times you wake up in the middle of the night. Who, need, who needs to know that? I don't want the government knowing, Landon, you had seven minutes of restless sleep. Who cares? I don't, I don't care at all. But I don't wear one of these. But, but what if I did? And what if it told me how many times somebody had hurt me? How many times I had forgiven that person? This is ridiculous. You know, okay, 489. I forgive it. 489 times today. 490 times today. The next person. And you just lose your mind. No, this is not what Jesus is saying at all. Jesus is trying to paint a picture. He's saying, it's not about numbers. It's not about numbers. Quit keeping track. The Bible says, don't keep track of wrongs. Don't. And we will mess up far more than 490 times in our lives. So thank the Lord that it's not about a number. <laughs> Jesus is using a figure of speech. He's making this, this big statement. Quit thinking about numbers. It's not about numbers. Just forgive. And if someone messes up, forgive. And if someone messes up, forgive. We're not supposed to put a number to it. We're not supposed to keep track. Just forgive. So number one, we are supposed to forgive endlessly. Point number two, we are supposed to forgive fully. F-U-L-L-Y, fully. Often we are taught and we teach that in order to forgive somebody, there has to be something from that person, Okay. We teach this to our kids on accident. We don't think about it, okay? I don't have children, but bear with me. I have two nieces, okay? They're Berkeley and Ellie Kate, and they are so cute. If you've been on my Facebook page, they're literally the cutest people. But, you know, here's, here's just a little example. Ellie Kate runs up to me. Hey, Berkeley pushed me. So what do I do? I take Ellie by the hand. We walk over to Berkeley. Well, let me, let me say this first. My brother calls me fatty, Okay? F-A-T-T-Y. He's called me fatty my whole life. When I was younger and skinnier, it was funny. Now, 
I'm starting to not like that as much. So anyways, my nieces call me Uncle Fatty. And so I take Ellie, and we go up, and, and I say, okay, Berkeley, did you push Ellie? And Berkeley says, no, you're lying. <laughs> Berkeley, did you push Ellie? She says, yes. And I say, okay, what do you say? She says, I'm sorry. Okay, Ellie, what do you say? I forgive you. It's okay. But she couldn't say, I forgive you, and it's okay until that, that person apologized. We subconsciously teach that there has to be an apology before we can forgive somebody. And let me tell you what, it's not real. <laughs> this is not how life works. People are not going to apologize for what they've done every time. Sometimes they will, but not every time. And we have this idea, maybe subconsciously, that, that well, I'm not going to forgive them until they apologize. Or I'm not going to forgive them until they're held accountable. I'm not going to forgive them until they've proven that something's changed. What if Ellie came up to me and she said, Uncle Fatty, Berkeley pushed me. And I said, okay, well, what do you say to Ellie? She'd be like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? She pushed me. I don't have to say anything. What if that's the way that we taught? But this is the reality that we need to teach. Sometimes you're not going to get told you're sorry. You still have to forgive. You still have to walk in forgiveness. They're not always going to prove themselves. They're not always going to be held accountable. We can't be looking for that. It's not our job. We have somebody who is looking for that. It's his job. <coughs> what did Jesus do for us? When we didn't deserve it, when we didn't apologize, when we didn't earn it, Jesus carried his cross. He's carrying the cross. He's been beaten. He's been bruised. His hands are then nailed to the cross. His, his feet are then nailed to the cross. And as he's hanging up there, a crown of thorns is put on his head. And what does he say? Forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. As we, not obviously not we, but they just did all these things. And he says, they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. Jesus forgave all of these people. And they didn't deserve it. They didn't apologize. They didn't pay the penalty for it. This is the way that we are supposed to live. This is who we are supposed to imitate. We have to live like Jesus did. In order to be forgiven, this passage says, in order to be forgiven, we must display God's heart in forgiveness towards others fully without warrant. If we hold on to any bit of the hurt, any bit of the pain, it's only going to come back. It's going to come back and it's going to bite you in the rear. And it's going to cause more sin and more hurt. Full forgiveness means letting go of the debt completely and totally. So number one, we are to forgive endlessly. Number two, we are to forgive fully. Number three, we are to forgive quickly. Uh, my brother is also a pastor and he does one of the most amazing teachings on, on unforgiveness and bitterness. And he says, unforgiveness turns to bitterness Bitterness turns to hate, and hate turns to apathy. Apathy is when you don't care what happens to somebody. That person hurts you, and then they could get hit by a car, and you would feel nothing. That's apathy. And I'm going to tell you this. Apathy is a sin. Hate is a sin. Someone hurts you, and you can inadvertently sin in your pain, and in your hurt if you don't forgive 
quickly, when we wait, when we don't take actions, we're only holding ourselves captive. Let me tell you what, that person that hurts you is gone, is living life. He's not sitting there, like, you know, sitting on his couch thinking, well, if they would only forgive me, then I could, you know, get off this couch and, and go to work. No, he's gone. It's gone. You're not holding him captive. You're holding you captive and your thoughts captive. When we hold in this bitterness and this hate, they're out living their lives. When we're slow to forgive, we're risking that offense will turn into something big and it will turn into something bigger and it will only hurt us and it will hurt the heart of God. So these are the basics, the basics we can take from this story, but we're going to dig just a little bit deeper. I'm going to tell you this, bitterness is the root of all sin. All sin is rooted in bitterness. From the beginning of time to yesterday to today to forever. The most ground that Satan will take in your life is because of bitterness. And it's through bitterness. And this is a heavy subject. I know it's a heavy subject. But I'm just telling you, this is important that we, that we talk about. Satan fell from heaven as an angel. We know that he fell. But why? There's two reasons, and they go hand in hand often. Pride and bitterness. Satan began to think, my way is better than your way, God. And he thought, God, you're holding out on me. We don't have time to go through the passages. It's in Isaiah. I'll show you sometime if you want to. But Satan began to believe that God was holding out on him. He became bitter at God when he was an angel. He became bitter at God because, God, why can't I have that? Why can't I have the fullness of that? God knows everything. God knows best. And so he's seeing all of it. We're only seeing one part. But Satan is mad at God, and he develops this bitterness towards God. And in response, he's thrown out of heaven, him and a third of the angels, a third of his, his little party, because of bitterness and because of pride. All sin... All sin is based in bitterness. All sin is based in bitterness towards God. This is a big statement, and I'm going to show you how I believe that it's true. We can sit and look at God and think, God, you're holding out on me. We don't think, I don't think that you think this often. Like when somebody hurts you, your first thought is not, well, God, Really? No, your first thought is, well, Bill, or whoever it is, you know, really? You know, this is our first thought. But in our brains, we're thinking, God, how did this happen? How did you allow this to happen to me? Why did this happen? You know, people that, that, that struggle with pornography, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep watching pornography because you're holding back on me. People that struggle with anger issues, God, this, I, I'm just living this. You're holding back on me. All sin is based in bitterness towards God. Adam and Eve, the very first sin, the fall of man, sitting in the Garden of Eden, they had everything they could possibly want, but they became bitter because they thought God was holding out on them because of the one tree they were told not to eat of. And they took a bite, and humanity forever has lived in bitterness towards God. That God is somehow holding back His good things, that God is holding back His, 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 His blessings and His heart. And we develop this, this bitterness 
subconsciously towards God. And sometimes it's shown through our bitterness towards people, but ultimately we're bitter at God. <coughs> In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, 2 Corinthians 2.10, If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. Watch this. In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are unaware of his schemes. He says right here, plain as day, if you don't forgive, Satan's going to outwit you. This is Satan's plan. He wants to make us bitter People, offended people. This is his plan from the beginning. It worked with Adam and Eve. It's working now. We become bitter and we become, well, God, you're holding out on me. We're angry at people. We're angry at God. We're angry at America. We're angry at everything we can be angry at. We have all this bitterness built up. And guess what? This is Satan's plan. This is his scheme. If I can just get them bitter. If I could just get them bitter. This is what he's thinking. <laughs> we, are to, we, we are to forgive so that Satan might not outwit us. He wants us to be in that place of unforgiveness and bitterness and offenses. And again, when we have those things, we're the ones being put in prison, not somebody else. We're putting ourselves in a prison when we don't forgive. We have to put on a merciful attitude. Let me tell you this, mercy is unfair. It is completely unfair. And when we have to do it, it we feel it's especially unfair. No, there's no way. We're giving somebody something they don't deserve. Here's the difference between mercy and judgment. The Bible says mercy triumphs over judgment, okay? Both are important, but mercy triumphs over judgment. Judgment looks at what happened. Judgment says, you did this, you pay. Mercy looks at the why behind the what. Mercy says, you know what, I see that this happened, but there has to be something there. There has to be a reason. And you know what, let's dig, let's find the reason, and let's move on. And the Bible says, mercy triumphs over judgment. And this is where I want to take this story from a little bit different of a perspective. I want us to think about the master in this story. He's living his life. His life is good. He has people that owe him <laughs> millions and millions of dollars. Somebody comes up and he says, no, you need to give me this money. But then he feels sorry for this guy. This guy's probably sitting here telling him a story. It says he, he fell on his knees. He pleaded. He's telling him a story. My fam this happened. And my, my mom died. This happened. This happened. And it led me to this. And in his mercy, he says, okay, you know what? You're free. You're free. It's completely wiped clean. You are free. So the servant goes off. The master just keeps living his life. Okay, he just keeps going. And then one day he's sitting at dinner, and his partner in crime, I don't know, is vice king a thing? I don't know, what's, what's your partner, your sidekick? CFO. The CFO walks in, and he says, hey, uh, did you hear about, you know, Billy Joe Bob? And, and he says, well, no. He said, well, you know what? Somebody owed him a you know, $250 for a Coke. And he had him thrown in prison and beaten until he could pay it off. Can you imagine the look on the master's face? 
He just paid this guy's millions and millions, 40, 50, 100 million dollars worth of debt. He wiped clean. And then this guy's running around begging people for 250 when he just got saved from millions of dollars of debt. This master, it says, he says, you wicked servant. He's not just angry. Oh, his heart is broken. He's thinking, this was a waste. I wasted mercy on you. I wasted mercy. So he calls the guy back in and he says, go to jail, straight to jail. I'm going to walk in judgment now because my mercy meant nothing to you. And then we look at this story from God's perspective. In our lives, we threw all of our sin, all of our hurt, all of our pain right on God as He was hanging on the cross. And then we walk around and we're mad about the 250 that someone hasn't paid us back. We're mad at a at a family member, we're mad at a sibling, we're mad at a friend. And Jesus is sitting here saying, what, what, what did I do for you? And he's not angry at you. He's heartbroken. And here's why he's heartbroken. When we hold our anger and our bitterness, we close our hands to the good things of God. I'm holding on so tight. I can't even find anything to hold on to. I'm holding on so tight. Nothing can get in these hands. You know, in the story, the the master stops offering forgiveness. Not because he didn't love the person, but because he couldn't offer forgiveness. The person was no longer showing forgiveness, so he couldn't show forgiveness. Forgiveness, we close our hands to the good things of God, to the blessings of God when we're holding on too tight. Why? Not because He doesn't love us, but because He can't fit it in. Our hands are so tight and the blessings can't get in. And Jesus is saying, we have to let it go. All He wants is to bless us. All He wants is to bless us. But in order for that to happen, we have to take that blessing and further it, and bless others. I know I'm running a little bit late, but I'm just telling you this is some good stuff that the Lord is, is, is dropping. So we're going to talk about some practicals real fast. Forgiveness, practicals. First thing we need to realize, forgiveness is not a feeling. If you wait to forgive somebody till you feel like it, you will die waiting. It's not a feeling. It's a decision. You will never feel like forgiving somebody. There is people in my life that I don't feel like forgiving them ever Ever. You have to daily make the decision to forgive them. Forgiveness is releasing a debt. The second thing, it's not saying, you, you forgiving somebody is not saying that what happened is okay. Some of you in this room need to hear, what happened to you was not okay. What happened to you shouldn't have happened. That person should not have done that. He should not have said that. She should not have done that. You need to hear, it wasn't okay. You forgiving them is not saying it was okay. It's not saying it was good. It's not saying you deserved it. You didn't. You did not deserve what he did. You didn't deserve what she said. You need to hear that from somebody. What it is, is saying, you know what? I'm going to show you the love of God by letting you go. You can answer to him. 
You don't have to answer to me. I'm going to let it go. What is owed is no longer owed. Forgiveness is for us. It's not for that person. The person's gone. He's moving on. She's moving on. She's already living her life. It's for you. When we forgive, we are free. You know what? Sometimes people don't even know that they've hurt you. I have done this to people, okay? Like, you know, somebody's like, well, Landon, why didn't you wave at me at United? I'm like, I didn't, I didn't see you at United. I, would, I don't just walk around just like, hey, everyone I see. I didn't see you. But they become angry. And you know what? Again, we have to forgive quickly because our small bitterness will turn into something huge. He didn't wave at me. He must hate me. The entire church must hate me. The entire town must hate me. It just escalates. And so sometimes people don't even know that they've hurt you. And so we're going to talk about, in a couple of minutes, we're going to talk about how to, do, how to deal with this. But I want to touch again on something. Often the thought is, well, well you don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they said. You don't know how they said it. You don't know the way she stabbed me in the back. You don't know how he's talking about me, how he, he, he abused me. All these things we don't. And you know what? I don't know. Okay? I don't know. But let me tell you what. I do know what Jesus did for you. I don't know what they did to you. I know what he did for you. Okay? And what he did for you is greater than what can any, anybody can do to you. Okay? Let me tell you this. Forgiveness is free. We're to offer forgiveness to everyone. Trust is different, okay? Trust is earned. If someone has hurt you, you, you need to forgive them. You have to forgive them. But that doesn't mean you have to trust them, okay? I want to say that. I don't want to communicate that at all, okay? If someone has hurt you, forgive them. You don't have to trust them. They have to earn trust. Forgiveness is free. <coughs> I know what Jesus did for you. And when we hold on to our bitterness and we hold on to our anger and our hurt, we're just looking at God and it's like, what, what you did is for nothing. I'm going to hold on. I'm going to keep holding on. When we forgive, we're not saying what happened is okay. We're just showing God's heart. Nobody's perfect, okay? We all need Jesus. Every one of us is hurt. Every one of us will hurt people. It's going to happen. Forgiving is hard and it's unfair, when somebody did something to you, it isn't fair to forgive them. But we didn't deserve forgiveness either. We didn't deserve grace. We didn't deserve mercy. And yet Jesus in his kindness looked down at us and he said, you know what, I'm going to give it anyways. I'm going to love you anyways. Four practical steps. I keep saying practical. I'm actually here now. Four practical steps to forgiveness. These are important. We need to do them. Okay. Number one, when someone hurts you, remember what God did for you. The easiest way to get our mind in the right place is to refresh it with the truth of God's word. Refresh it with, okay, God, what did you do? I know this person hurt me, but what did you do? How did you love me? We have to remind ourselves what God did for us. The second one, we have to ask God to help our hearts heal. Hurt is real. No one can know specifically what you've walked through and what you're walking through. They can't. Because your situation is unlike anybody else's. The only person that can bring comfort and healing is God. And so we ask God to help heal our hearts. The third one, this is a hard one. This one hurts. We pray for a blessing for those people. 
I have honestly, in, in, in the past, I have prayed for people, like, to not, not necessarily to be hurt, but like, God, get them caught. Get them caught in their sin. God, I just pray that you would expose them, you know? God, I pray that you would, you know, hurt, you know, not hurt them. I keep saying that. You know what I mean. You get the picture. But we pray that, that something bad would happen to them because of what they did. No. The best way to move towards forgiveness is to pray a blessing on them. God, I bless them. I bless their finances. God, I pray that you would move into their family. Pray that you would move into their, their marriage. God, I just pray that you would bless them. And as we begin to pray blessings over people, what you're going to see is your heart's going to become softer. Forgiveness is not a one-time thing. If someone, if someone hurts me, I can't just be like, I forgive you, and then it's done. And then oh, magically, I'm free from anger. No. It's something you have to constantly battle when I start feeling angry, when I remember the hurt. I say, Lord, I just pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would bless their family, bless their kids, bless, bless their relationships, all these different things we pray for and bless them. The fourth one, this is also important. Talk about it openly and honestly, not gossip. There is a massive difference. Right before this, right before Matthew 18, um, or the verses we were in, Matthew 18, 21, there's a few verses, and this is called the Matthew 18 principle on forgiveness. Okay? This is what it says. If someone hurts you, you go to them one-on-one, and you say, hey, this is what happened. Can we talk about this? And they say no. You go back. You grab somebody you trust, an accountability partner, not somebody that it's gossip. Okay, but somebody that you trust, someone that's going to stand up for you. You bring them back. You say, hey, we just want to talk about this. They say no. It says you involve the church. You come and you grab somebody from church leadership and you say, we got to talk about this. We got to get this out in the open. And you go. That's how, that's how we deal with conflict. Okay, gossip is killing the church. Gossip is killing the church. I don't even necessarily mean spiritually. There are physical Deaths that are happening because of gossip. It has to stop. It has to stop. Matthew 18, talking about it does not mean gossip. So those are the four steps to forgiveness. It's something you have to do daily. It's something you have to do every hour when you're angry at somebody. It takes time. It takes perseverance. But we have to remember what God did for us. I want to talk just for a couple more minutes. Man, I'm blowing through time. Sorry. Let me tell you this. I want to talk just for a second on gossip, okay? Because I think this is important, really, because gossip is hurting the church. We look like hypocrites when we gossip, okay? The Bible says mercy doesn't expose faults. It actually covers them, okay? That doesn't mean you don't ever need to talk about what's going on. It means you need to talk to the right people for the right reasons about what's going on, okay? So... You go to people, you go to church leadership, you go to your accountability partner, your group, you go to, you go to somebody that you can trust. We don't, need to, we don't need to talk to everybody about everything that's going on. Not everyone needs to know, okay? You're hurting that person with your tongue when you're talking about them. You go to somebody that you trust, you be honest, you be open, you be vulnerable, but it doesn't need to be shared past that, okay? Mercy covers faults, it doesn't expose faults. When Joseph was made king, okay, Joseph, remember his brothers that were terrible to him, threw him down in a well, sold him to slavery? Anybody's brother did that? No? Yeah, his brothers were terrible, okay? 
This happens. Joseph then rises up, is made king. His brothers come to him. He, he wants to confront them. But what does he do? He kicks everyone out of the room first to where it's just him and his brothers. That's love. That is love. He kicks everyone out of the room and says, we got to talk about this. I'm Joseph. They didn't even know he was Joseph. Like, who is this guy? Why is he kicking everybody out of the room? He wanted to talk about it openly and honestly and not slander them across, across the nation. Uh, Noah, we talked about this last week, but Noah got crazy drunk one time, okay? Was like naked at a party, which is just weird. Just, no. But what happened is he had three sons. One of his sons came in, saw him, went and told everybody. Went and just yelled it, just, ah, my dad's naked, which I don't know why you would ever say that, by the way. That was even weird coming out of my mouth just now. <laughs> that felt weird. You know what I'm saying? He went and told everybody. <laughs> I wish I could take that back. You ever, you ever say something, you're like, nope. One son went and told everybody. The other two sons went and grabbed clothes, covered him, and stood in front of him so no one could see. One of those sons was cursed. The other two were blessed. Because mercy covers faults. It doesn't expose them. We can't be gossiping. It's good to talk about what's going on. Talk about it with the right people. Okay, gossip is a sin. As we close, I just want to say, you're hurt. What you're feeling is real, okay? It's okay to be hurt. What they did to you was not okay. What they said to you was not okay. The way they stabbed you in the back was not okay. You need to hear that. It's not okay. But it's our responsibility to let the Lord heal our hearts as we forgive them for the debt that they owed. Because that's what Jesus did for us. Let's pray. Jesus, we just love you. And we just first and foremost want to say thank you. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for constantly loving us when we, when we hurt you, when we do the wrong things, when we sin. We thank you that you're chasing after us and that you forgive us every single time. We are so thankful for you. God, I pray for our hearts. I pray that our hearts, those of us that are hurting, I just pray that you would heal our hearts. God, we are hurt people sometimes. And I just pray that your comfort would come, that your peace would come, that your healing would come, a spiritual, emotional healing of our hearts. I just pray over, over these people, over myself. God, I pray that you would give us the courage to forgive the right way. I pray that you would give us the courage to talk openly and honestly so that we can move past things. I pray that we would have the courage to forgive fully and quickly and endlessly. God, show us areas in our hearts where maybe we have bitterness. Maybe we don't even know. But we have bitterness that we've been holding on to for 40 years and we didn't even think it was there. I pray that you would bring this up so that we can begin to love and look like you. God, you are good and you're faithful and we're so thankful for the sacrifice you made on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.